This is No Stigma Nevada, a podcast about mental health in the Silver State. I am your host, Kim Palchikoff. I'm a journalist and licensed social worker that lives with bipolar disorder. So I know firsthand what it's like to live with mental health challenges. No Stigma Nevada is a podcast where I will discuss important issues with Nevada psychiatrists, therapists, consumers, family members, policymakers, and many others. Today I am speaking with Sandy Stamates, former president of the Nevada chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, otherwise known as NAMI. Ms. Stamates is a specialist in issues of mental health and families and a longtime volunteer instructor of the NAMI Family to Family course, which is taught nationwide, including in Nevada. Ms. Stamates has taught more than 30 family to family courses over the decades, and each course runs about 30 hours. Her classes, which come with everything from curriculum to question and answer sessions, are designed to help Nevada families who have members living with a mental illness. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with mental health. So, I have a family member who was diagnosed with mental illness in 2001. My husband and I did not understand the illness. I called my employer's employee assistance program and got my husband and I in to see a psychologist. She told us about a wonderful organization, NAMI, Mm -hmm. the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and made up of family members like us who could give us support and information. The first meeting we would have gone to was September 11, 2001. The meeting was canceled that night, but we went in October and have been involved ever since. And so you went to this meeting, and um, what did you learn? The people there all had family members, mm-hmm. had loved ones with living with mental illness. And first of all, we found out we were not alone. Mm-hmm. And they gave us information. I mean, we had no idea. You know, we didn't know about treatment or anything like that. So they gave us information about uh, treatment providers we could go to, different treatments. I talked a little bit about medication. But one thing I really learned in those early meetings is not to say, oh, he's bipolar. She's schizophrenic. I learned to say the individual had bipolar disorder, had schizophrenia, like someone might have diabetes. Mm -hmm. It was person first. And that was a lesson I took away and have kept always. And mm-hmm. I cringe when I hear someone say, oh, they're schizophrenic. So you you felt, found some value in meeting others? Yes, that had, um, absolutely. Finding out you are not alone is really mm-hmm. very important because uh, when these situations hit a family, most families, even families who perhaps have a professional, maybe even a doctor or a nurse that all of a sudden has a family member exhibiting strange behavior, they're taken 
by surprise often mm -hmm. and not sure what to do. It sounds like those meetings motivated you to uh, continue with your participation as yes. a family member. A lot of family members wouldn't see it that way. Mm -hmm. They might see it, they may not go to a meeting. They may say, you know, my family member is a problem. You know, they're in jail. They yes. have no money. Whatever it is, yes. they just don't want to deal with it. They kind of blame the person. Yes. You know, how do you deal with families like that? Well, one thing that we were very lucky, the affiliate where we attended the Caring and Sharing Group offered a NAMI family-to-family -family mm -hmm. course mm -hmm. in January and February of 2002. Mm -hmm. We were still very new into this. That course saved my husband and I's lives. We learned all about various mental illness, treatment types, medications, problem solving, communication skills. Understanding the illness allowed us to be an advocate for our family member. It also taught us to take care of ourselves. Without self-care, we are no help to anyone else. We found we were not alone. So the NAMI Family to Family course is for family members like parents, siblings, adult children, spouses, significant others, and close friends who want to understand and support a loved one living with mental illness. We teach family members about the symptoms, diagnoses, treatment options, problem solving, communication skills, and most importantly, how to take care of themselves. Education helps a family member become a good advocate and supporter mm -hmm. for their loved one and work on things like problem solving. Um, like, give me an example of a typical problem. Well, a typical problem. The loved one is having an active phase of illness. The loved one doesn't see anything wrong. They're not sick. Everybody else has the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you answer? Well, that's a difficult thing because there's an actual medical term. It's not a lack of insight. I mean, it is not a denial on the loved one's part. It is a lack of insight. It's called anosognosia. And Dr. Javier Amador has written a very wonderful book, I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help. And it talks about anosognosia, which was actually found by a neurologist treating, mm -hmm. treating stroke victims. Mm -hmm. Stroke victim didn't actually see that there was a deficit from the stroke. So it's something in the mind, the brain, mm -hmm is not allowing the person to see. So how, how do you deal with that? Well, uh, we give people encouragement because this is a difficult situation. We recommend reading the book, and there are some ideas that Dr. Amador has in there. Like um, what? Can you? Uh, he has a little acronym, LEAP, listen, empathize. Um, the A, I'm not going to... I know it's not agree, and I always forget the A and then partner, but it's working together, um, trying to, through conversations and just support, not judging, uh, not forcing, 
but in time, just working with the person to help them to see. If a person does uh, get into treatment, often medication will help the person gain insight, will relieve symptoms, because medication is there to relieve symptoms. So that can be helpful and help the person gain insight, and that can be a step toward recovery. Medication is not the be-all, end-all, though. There's therapies that can work, and then simple things, I'll say simple with quotes, things that every one of us need to do to take care of ourselves. Eating well, exercising, doing what we need to do to keep a positive attitude, meditation, uh, there's complementary and alternative uh, things. Sometimes supplements can help, but you know, just things that any of us might do. So what do you tell a parent, let's say there's someone in the class, a parent or a sibling, whoever, has a loved one with mental illness, and they say, look, here's the situation. Mm-hmm. They don't got a job. They have no money. They won't take meds. Mm-hmm. You can't force them. They're a mess. They're on the street. I want to help, but, you know, I've tried having them live with me in my house, help get them on their feet. Doesn't work. How do you deal with that? Well, there are programs available, and um, what we've done for our family member is we applied for Social Security Disability, Mm -hmm. and the family member was able to get that. Uh, Our loved one was able to get that, and that really helped because it brought in an income. Uh, There is housing. Uh, It's very tight. Like Section 8? Yeah, there's Section 8 HUD housing. That could be helpful. We need more affordable housing here in our state. We need supported housing Mm -hmm. in our state. Uh, Some of our uh, Medicaid managed care organizations are helping with that type of housing. If the individual is not covered by insurance and has no money coming in, they most likely qualify for Medicaid, and we certainly urge families to look into that. Families may need to help in practical ways. We filled out an application online for Social Security Mm -hmm. for our loved one, and that's something a family member can do. And often the ill person does not have the wherewithal to be able to do something like that. The, lo- the application is long, and you have to have some details. And so that's, that's ways a family member can help and support. What are some of the issues, and what are some ways that families can help? You mentioned uh, filling out a Social Security um, mm-hmm. form, but that also can be troublesome, right? Doesn't it take a while to... It can, yeah. and and usually does. Some people will go to an attorney or maybe another agency that can help them with the process, We did not do that. We actually filled out the application online and submitted it. And if you do that, once you submit the application, and you can submit it electronically, 
that date is very important. So Social Security will get the application. They'll start doing research, looking through. Uh, you've needed to list treatment providers, hospitalizations, you know, the important details. Social Security will go back to those. Uh, first of all, they will call you in and the loved one, and the loved one will need to sign release of information forms. That allows Social Security to go back to those providers, the hospitals, whatever, get the information, get the medical records, and then they do a review of all that they have found and make a decision. Maybe the decision is no, and that's where you can uh, file an appeal and uh, get them to relook at things. And then uh, you can also go to a hearing uh, with a judge. And so the process is long, but if in the end, it becomes positive, yes. The answer is yes. The Social Security will start back at that date that the application oh, was originally yeah. filed. Mm -hmm. So if the person gets a payment, the first payment is going to be kind of large mm -hmm. uh, because it'll go back. And, and we can be talking months, and I know sometimes it can take a year or more. Mm. What are some of the other issues that you've encountered? Well, often a family may need to have their loved one living with them longer so that they don't become homeless, financially supporting. But if the person does get on Social Security or SSI income, supplemental security income, then the person needs to, if they're still living at home, needs to start paying rent, and usually that's about 30% of the amount of money that they make. So in time, always advocating for treatment. Treatment does work, and people do recover. In NAMI, we like to say never give up hope. So there are, are practical things. Um, by getting education, it can help family members deal more effectively with what's mm -hmm. going on. Do a lot of the family members that come to your classes, and I know you said you've taught more than 30 classes, have issues with their loved ones not wanting to take medication? Yes, that happens. Medication starts working. People feel better. Now, sometimes people are able to maybe stop taking medication and still remain stable. Otherwise, a relapse occurs, and now you're back to square one. Depending on how bad and how serious the relapse is, the person may end up in the hospital, and then the person needs to make a decision. What are they going to do? Do you ever recommend, like, family interventions, like where family members get together? I know they do this with alcohol yeah. and drugs, and they say, hey, look, we love you, we care about you, this is, you know, we want you to take your medications, and do you ever talk about that? People ever bring that up? I've maybe talked about it a little bit uh, in the past. Um, 
sometimes you have to set limits. Uh -huh. So if you want to continue living here, this is what we require. You need to go and see the doctor. I often recommend, especially when you first notice people mm -hmm. having problems, go to your primary care physician. Because here's the thing. There could be a thyroid issue, adrenal gland issues that can be causing the behavior. Hopefully not, but could there be a brain tumor? You need to get a good physical workup done to rule out other causes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes if you're sick, how bad do you feel about calling the doctor? You're sick, you probably call the doctor pretty easily, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're going to your primary care physician, probably someone you have seen over time, well, that doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean... If you go there, and um, so what I'm trying to say is people uh, who have got all of a sudden these unusual uh, behaviors going on, if you say, well, why don't we call Dr. So-and-so? You know, you, you've been to the doctor a lot. Let's go and see the doctor. Well, if it's somebody you've seen in the past and nobody's saying, oh, you're acting crazy. You need to see a psychiatrist. You know, that type of talk can alienate a person. But if you just say, why don't we check, you know, go to the doctor, get a physical, let's check out, see what's going on. The person still may not want to, but I think that's less threatening and maybe has a better chance of reaching the person. Yeah, my brother's a diabetic type 1, and mm -hmm. something happened this summer with his, he has a f smartphone deal with okay. his, measures his uh -huh. glucose, and he wears a patch. Mm -hmm. So his glucose monitor, his phone stopped working, or the program stopped, something happened. Okay. And so his glucose went down to 40, mm. and um, he was acting quite strange. Uh-huh. Yeah. But they knew exactly what the reason was. Sure. He didn't know what the reason was. No. He came home from work, and he was weird, and, you know, his wife knew exactly what okay. the problem. He was sweaty. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So, you know, it's not just people with mental illness. No. And actually, someone not knowing he had that problem might think, wow, yeah. that guy's weird. What's going on, you know? But again, simple trip to the doctor or a phone call to the doctor. And mm -hmm. Do the issue of suicide ever come up in your family? Yes. Like, and we, how do you address it if someone says, oh, well, my loved one yesterday threatened suicide or they're in the hospital because they had an attempt? How do you talk with them about this issue? Well, first of all, in our family to family course, we talk about suicide. Mm -hmm. And we urge family members to hit it directly. So we have handouts. By the way, they come away from this course with an inch and a half thick notebook of mm -hmm. materials mm -hmm. that they can refer back to. And we have questions that people can ask. Tell me, how are you feeling? Do you have thoughts of suicide? Truthfully, have most of us ever maybe 
for a fleeting second thought of suicide? Mm -hmm. I have a feeling the answer might be yes. But tell me, when you think about suicide, do you have a plan for how you would do it? So you encourage them to actually ask. Ask, absolutely. And then what would have to happen to cause you to think seriously about implementing that plan? And then are you at that place now? Are you thinking about implementing the plan? Yes, and then make a call. And I would like to suggest that people call our new 988 number that allows them to reach the crisis call center. Family members are welcome to call that number and talk with a trained counselor. And, uh, you know, a loved one can call that number. That connects to the National Suicide Lifeline. And we are very lucky in Nevada that we have a wonderful uh, part of that crisis call center. It is actually part of the National Lifeline uh, right here in Reno, Nevada. And they will talk to you. They will strategize with you, family member or individual living with a mental health issue or crisis or feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. And they will talk with you and... Not only that, but uh, if the situation warrants, they can send a mobile outreach safety team. Here in our state, um, in northern Nevada, the mobile outreach safety team is made up of a a police officer Mm -hmm. and a clinician. And um, in southern Nevada, it's a little different. Um, uh, There's a clinician and maybe an EMT Uh, that go out. And, um, you know, they can go out and meet the person wherever they are and talk with them and assess the situation and see what needs to be done. Perhaps they need to be hospitalized and they can Mm -hmm. help that situation Mm -hmm. get them where they need to go. That's interesting you mentioned the MOST team and and the police officer that goes out because I've read a lot over the last few years about families calling police. Mm And instead of getting help, police who are maybe untrained with mental health issues, they come out and taser the person or shoot the person. Mm -hmm. Does that talk ever come up in your class? Yes, it does. Um, And we talk about crisis intervention team Mm -hmm. training with police officers. This is a 40-hour course that officers go through. And by the way, that course is taught in Nevada. And here in uh, northern Nevada, it is not only taught to uh, officers already on the job, it is part of the law enforcement academy. And, uh, you know, it's a 40-hour You think it works? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm a presenter Mm -hmm. at CIT training. It really helps the officers start to understand and... They work on de-escalation skills, helping the officer know what to do in these situations. So it's an excellent training. It's based on the Memphis model that came out of Memphis, Tennessee. And it's a a wonderful, it actually was in conjunction with the Memphis Police Department and the NAMI affiliate Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. in Memphis. 
So in the 20 years that you've been involved with these family-to-families and NAMI, you know, we're hearing a lot about mental illness right now in the media. A lot of it was related to the pandemic. Now we're hearing a lot about youth mental health. Where do you see all of this going? Do you think we're getting a better understanding of mental illness? Do you think we're just getting a better reporting of it? Um, Do you think the public is becoming more informed about? I believe the public is becoming more informed. But let me just say that one in five people in any given year experience a mental health condition. That's a lot of people. So, is it something new? No. Are we talking about it more? Yes. I think in the past there was a a very strong stigma. If something happened in your family, you hid it. You didn't talk about it. And we need to talk about it. I mean, there is, it's an illness like any other. There is no shame. Uh, and, and one thing we are very vigilant about is helping family members realize they did not cause this. With genetic components, none of us got to choose the genes that were passed on to us or the genes that we passed on to our family members. So, you know, it, it's, it's there. It is what it is. Let's just deal with it. That was Sandy Staymates, former NAMI president from Nevada and current volunteer of the NAMI Family to Family course. To our listeners, please join me, your host, Kim Palchikoff, on our next episode.